Was I sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Matthew chapter 15, verse 24. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, please bless my words as I bring, try and bring out your word in what is a difficult passage. I ask that you give us understanding and insight into your word, into your character, into your mission and work towards us. In Jesus' name I pray. So um, those of you who are listening closely will have noticed that the verses I just quoted is usually rendered as a statement. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but I framed it as a question. Was I sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? The Greek actually could be translated either way. The original manuscripts don't have question marks. You have to try and figure out what's a question or what's a statement in some cases. But regardless of how it's translated, this is the question that's at play in this exchange. Is Jesus really sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, only to Jews? And it's a question that Jesus intentionally leads his disciples into and through, rather than avoiding. Yeah. You know, there's that saying that de- the devil's in the details. The novelist um, Flaubert, who I've never read, but apparently is a good novelist, um, used to always say, God is in the details, not the devil. And I like that. And it's especially true with Scripture. God is in the details. So looking at the details of the passage, um, five chapters earlier in Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the 12 on that preaching and healing mission. And he gives very specific directions on where they're supposed to go. Go nowhere among the Gentiles but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Same phrase, right? Lost sheep of the house of Israel. So just a brief, a few um, weeks or months previously in Jesus' ministry, he has said, no, lost, no Gentiles whatsoever. But then in Matthew 15, the gospel that we just heard, the Spirit inspires St. Matthew to spend a whole verse just describing the exact location Jesus goes to, and this is with a purpose. Matthew records very specifically, he goes to the district of Tyre and Sidon, which in the world of Jews living in um, the Holy Land at the time, Tyre and Sidon is like the Portland and San Francisco of the region. They're the port towns, which are always kind of culturally pretty out there, uh, and very um, licentious, and, all, and almost exclusively Gentile towns. Maybe there's a few Jewish people living in those towns, but very, very few. They are not Jewish towns. So Jesus goes to a place where there's no lost sheep of the house of Israel, no Jews. Curious. And then a woman approaches Jesus and his band, which we know is much more than the 12, right? We see the band in Acts, you know, around 120. There's a sort of group of people. The woman approaches Jesus in the group, and Matthew refers to her as a Canaanite. Now, in the first century, you never referred to Gentiles as Canaanites. That word hasn't been used in a thousand years. What he's doing is he's pulling out even Old Testament context and saying, not only is she not Jewish, she's of the enemy of the Jews, the Canaanites. Right? This is as un-Jewish as you can get, as Gentile as they come. That's what Matthew's signifying by using that obscure word in his vocabulary. This woman's asking for help for her child. And those of you who um, have better memories of the scripture than me, because I had to see, look up a study Bible to catch this, but... Um, Remember, there's a similar and strange incident in the life of Elijah where he helps a Gentile woman with her child. Actually, interestingly, in this exact same geography, the region of Tyre. So the woman makes this petition, and Jesus doesn't answer, 
which is unusual for Jesus in the Gospels, right? When someone comes with a petition, he responds. The best way I can make sense of his non-response in this case is I, I believe he's leaving room for the disciples to respond. Remember, he's raising them up to continue the mission that he's begun. Remember, greater things than these you will do. He's leaving room for the disciples to respond to this woman's request. And they do, but not well. A paraphrase of their response um, would be, Lord, this woman is bugging us. Just do a miracle to like, get her out of our hair. When they say send away, it's probably implied meaning like, just give her the miracle. But Jesus answers them, and he's talking now to the disciples. It's important this. He's not addressing the woman, actually, at first. This episode is a teaching for the disciples, primarily, initially. Jesus says to the disciples, as if to highlight the problem that he's wanted to lead them into, um, am I on a mission only for Israelites, or am I not? Right? I told you guys to go only to Jews, and now here we are. This is not a Jewish person. Right? There's a sort of question like, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, right? But Jesus has led them into this pickle on purpose, right? He's physically walked, taken them, led them into Gentile territory. So look what happens next. The woman has shouldered her way through the traveling band. We don't know exactly how big it is this number, somewhere between 12 and 100. Um, and she's now face to face with Jesus, and she kneels before him. Um, could also be translated, worship before him. She addresses Jesus as Lord, and she asks for his help. And then Jesus says something admittedly very strange. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. This is one of the hard sayings of Scripture. Right? Like, Jesus, this doesn't sound like you. Like, you referring to this woman as a dog? Like, what's going on? It does sound harsh. Um, the sense of harshness is softened a little by the fact that there's a word for dog that's used hundreds of times in the Bible, and this is not it. This is like the diminutive cute word for dog. It could be translated also even puppy. So it's sort of this, it's a little less harsh, but it still out, seems out of step. It still seems inappropriate. The, um, here I want to sort of sidestep for uh, a sort of interpretation lesson very briefly. As Anglicans, we're given a gift in Article 20, and our 39 article says, I'm going to quote it exactly, we, are, we may not expound one place of Scripture that it be repugnant to another. And this is a great tool for when to, uh, catching a hard passage like this, like, how do we interpret this rightly, Lord? Well, we shouldn't interpret one place of Scripture as repugnant to another. And so if we bring in what we know of Jesus, I mean, I mean, I should say it the other way. If we simply stop at kind of the first impression and say, well, it sounds like Jesus is being rude, and commentators even will sometimes say worse things about that than Jesus, about Jesus. Um, we're not reading the Bible very well because we've been reading it repugnant to itself because the Bible says that we know that Jesus is God. Jesus says in John 10, I and the Father are one. We know that God himself is love and we know from 1 Corinthians, love is not rude. It can't be just mere rudeness. Right? That, that would be a lazy reading. So we have to, we're sort of forced to dig into assuming consistency of character on Jesus' part, which we should. What is he getting at? It can't be simple rudeness. More is going on. And here the church fathers are really helpful in drawing this out. Jesus is drawing 
the faith of this woman out into the open for the disciples to see, to be really this break open moment of the, a turning point in his own life and ministry that up until now has been really just for Jews with the exception of one centurion. To say, you know, this is actually going to be for Gentiles included in the blessing of Israel. And I, the, how the woman responds um, is uh, the sort of, um, the strength of it and even almost like the playfulness of it is a little bit lost in translation into the English. It's very sharp and witty. It's not like, in the Greek, it's not like, oh, okay, Lord, but could I just have a crumb? It's like, oh, and the, even the dogs get the crumbs that the children get. There's a sort of uh, repartee to it, which is refreshing. Um, she, the woman doesn't miss a beat. And in her answer, she actually hits on three theological truths that will take St. Paul um, two chapters of Romans to unpack in nine, chapters 9 through 11. Three chapters. First, she accepts the sort of gentle, hum- humiliating rebuff, right? Inhabiting this image of, you know, being called a dog. Secondary status. And then but she implies also that the children drop what is given to them, and, and then the next in the pecking order are fed. Prophesying in this extension of Jesus' sort of word picture, the Jews rejecting the gospel and the Gentiles benefiting from it, right? If the children drop the food... Right? They fumbled it, it goes to the Gentiles. That's what Romans 9 through 11 is all about, which we heard in Romans 11. The failure of the Jews means the riches for the Gentiles, and that the bread is not, doesn't belong to the Jews, it belongs to the Master, Jesus, God. The woman, therefore, shows by her words that though she's not a Jew outwardly, she is a Jew inwardly. That's St. Paul's phrase in Romans earlier, in Romans 2, a Jew inwardly. She has um, uncovered the truth, and it must have been the Holy Spirit showing this to her, because how else could she know it? That the Gentiles were even prophesied in the time of Isaiah. The Gentiles will be included in God's full redemption plan that began with the Jews, but is for all people. How does Jesus respond? Now that her, her conviction, her belief is out in the open, in this place that Jesus has led them to, a woman Great is your faith. You see, we should hear in mirror image to what Jesus said to Peter. We just heard a few Sundays ago. Oh, Peter. Oh, you of little faith. This woman from the region of Tyre and Sidon has great faith. And then, what he's been keeping back almost playfully, he then reveals his merciful heart. Be it done for you you as you desire, and a daughter is healed instantly. So we see through this peculiar exchange, Jesus shows us that the fullness of his mission is the Gentiles again. And then to sort of um, ratify this teaching, to sort of make sense of this interpretation that I'm offering. Um, The next episode is Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus goes back to the region of Galilee, but he's got a crowd of 4,000 with him who must have come from from Tyre and Sidon, so Gentiles. And then he feeds them with a miraculous creation of bread in mirror image to his feeding of the 5,000. You ever thought about that? It's not an accident, like, wait, was this one story written down? No, it's two very different stories because it's two different peoples. He fed 5,000 Jews with miraculous bread, and then later he feeds 4,000 Gentiles with miraculous bread, showing his mission is now expanding 
to the Gentiles. And also the very fact that it's a bread miracle. And what, the, what this woman has said about the crumbs falling from the master's table. Right? There's a lot of, it's not just crumbs left over, it's 4,000 loaves being provided for Gentiles. Underscoring the truth that was revealed by the exchange with the Canaanite woman. Thanks be to God that his mission was to Gentiles also, right? As far as I know, none of y'all have Jewish blood in your veins. We would not be saved if the kingdom was only for Jews. We are the benefactors of the truth that through this strange exchange with this woman in the region of Tyre and Sidon, Jesus actually opens up into history the fulfillment of prophecy for the first time. Thanks be to God. And I I love how we're actually gently reminded of this gospel exchange every Sunday. I want to report the the echo in our prayer of Hamalasa. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. We're taking the the very language of this, this woman who had great faith onto our own lips Sunday after Sunday. We are not worthy because we're Gentiles. Not just by the, our DNA, but even worse, we are, um, we are not worthy because we have sinned against you, God. We have sinned against the very one who loves us and is, sought to, and is seeking to redeem us. We are not worthy. But like the woman, we confess it. We confess the fact. Yeah, we, we know we're not worthy. Like the woman, we continue to make our plea. Right? I don't deserve to, I don't have standing to ask you anything. But I need your mercy and your salvation and your help and your strengthening and your assistance to continue to plea with that boldness that would break through a crowd of disciples to get to Jesus himself. And therefore, like the woman, Christ gives us what we're asking for. She was asking for spiritual healing for her daughter. We are asking for spiritual healing. And I, maybe it's just the season of like bread and lamb of sale and stuff, but the, the means for the healing that he's appointed for us, for the church, for the entirety of the church era, from his own ascension until the day he comes back again. The means he's given us is through the sacrament of bread and wine that becomes for us his spiritual body, his spiritual blood. That is our medicine. That is the thing, the, the means by which he applies his healing Sunday after Sunday, day after day, into our souls. Glory to Jesus Christ. Amen.